This time, we're taking a look at the techno-fantasy film Ready Player One. And along the way, we ask, is it really a Spielberg film if John Williams doesn't write the score? When does the Oasis get ruined by alt-right trolls? And why is T.J. Miller in this film? First to the key, first to the podcast, this is Force-Fed Sci-Fi. Welcome back to another fantastic edition of Force-Fed Sci-Fi. I am yours truly, Sean Michael Culp, and along with me on this ride is my friend and co-host. I am the Gunter, Chris Rupp, and today we are joined by a very special guest, the very first guest that we had on Force-Fed Sci-Fi. Brian McLeod is back on Force-Fed Sci-Fi. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Fantastic. We're very happy to have you back. Looking forward to your insight into this movie. Yeah, Chris, it's good to see you again. You look fantastic. <laughs> I know it's been uh, since the last time we were all together. It's 2019, so you look great. Uh, Sean, <laughs> um, what happened? You look terrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've missed that dry wit. <laughs> what can I say? I, I quit drinking alcohol, and it all went down the oh. tubes. <laughs> God, well, well, here's the better times for you, my man. <laughs> Th- thank you brian you <laughs> you look fantastic as always uh, thank you thank you no no all jokes aside i'm happy to be here grateful to have you we've been yeah we've been wanting to have uh guests on this podcast for a while it just finally worked out mm-hmm. the summer months so very grateful to have you too man and grateful to talk about this movie i know chris has been wanting to talk about this it did come up i think in the list once but we were like eh, I don't think we're ready or we didn't really want to discuss it yet. We wanted to save it. I think we wanted to allow some time to pass so we could really kind of come at this with a critical eye and have some sense of time behind it. And it's now been close to four years since this movie came out. So there's a lot. There's been many advancements in technology that now make this movie seem more relevant. Um, We also have a kind of a greater understanding of pop culture and the circumstances of this movie so i think this is a good time to really kind of go back to 2018 and see what was going going on with ready player one. Oh yeah so strap in folks here's three white guys talking about pop culture <laughs> <laughs> so ready player one what about this film chris so ready player one is centered on an Easter egg hunt created by famed video game creator James Halliday. And after he passes away, he hides an Easter egg inside his greatest creation. And the Oasis is this all-encompassing virtual world. You can go anywhere you want, go to any type of world you want, be anything you want, and do anything. They make no stipulations, no limitations as to what you can do. But... This, If you control this egg, you control the fate of the Oasis and you get, what is it, like half a trillion dollars as the prize money or something? Yeah, something like that. It is an ungodly amount of money, no, an amount of money that no person should ever have, in my opinion. So, But there's also the Gunters that they call them that are after the egg, and there's also nefarious corporations that want to take control of the Oasis and bastardize it. And this is the conflict of Ready Player One. With great power comes great responsibility. That's a different film. Oh, oh, my bad. That's a different universe. (laughs) So it's all the makings for something sensational. That's what I'm hearing. 
It is. Like, as soon as you throw in virtual world or virtual universe, virtual anything you could ever imagine doing, the scales are now tipped in the balance in terms of, like, this is now officially a blockbuster. Blockbuster spectacle. And it is. As we wrap up our Spielberg month, I think this kind of is once again like us honing in, watching him as he hones in his craft after, God, 40 years, 50 years of filmmaking. So I'm pumped to talk about this. I think this is now Spielberg. He knows all of the tricks of his craft. I think especially in recent years, we've seen, we've seen him try new things, especially with West Side Story. And he has several other movies coming up that he hasn't really attempted before. So I think now in his older age, he has honed his craft. He knows what he wants to do. And he knows he just wants to try new things just for the sake of doing it. And West Side Story, I know it gets a lot of flack, but it was a really great movie. And you have to like credit the man because at his age, he could totally just be doing like a Wes Anderson. Same thing, you know what to expect. But he continues to push the bar. You know, it's funny you say that because when watching Ready Player One, there are a few instances while, while watching the film, you could just tell this was a Steven Spielberg made movie just based on some of the camera shots and the sequences. But at the same time, you could you could tell like he's trying and executing a lot of new innovative uh, things in the film. So while he is applying to things that he knows that works in adventure films, he's also pushing the, uh, the boundaries in that perspective. Absolutely, because I think he said this is like the third most difficult film he's ever made in his career. Well, what's the most difficult film? Jaws? Probably Jaws. Oh, okay, <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, there's there's several rules of filmmaking that were penned by Steven Spielberg. One of them was never shoot on the water. Oh, God. <laughs> With a mechanical shark. <laughs> Recipe for success there, baby. But I think, yeah, Brian, you hit it on the head. It's just it's he's pushing the boundary in terms of storytelling and pushing the boundaries in terms of special effects. And this is definitely in that vein of like Close Encounters of the Third Kind and then E.T., Jurassic Park, and this is still in even um, AI to some extent, but this is full-on, full-bore, I'm going to push the limits of visual effects as far as it can go and make it look fantastic. He did. I mean, it's you got to give credit where credit's due because it's hard making a CGI film like Avatar, for example. Like, How can you bring to life something that's like so made up? You know, and it's all computer generated. You don't have the actors emoting. Well, if you have a company like Industrial Light and Magic, which I think <laughs> they're the ones that did this film, right? They're one of the ones. So like, oh. yeah, so uh, one of them. <laughs> well, you, as long as you got them on your team, you're all good. Yeah, basically, because they they pioneered all of this. Like Industrial Light and Magic was created by George Lucas because there wasn't a visual effects house that was making the effects he wanted for Star Wars. Mm -hmm. And if you watch the credits, there's something I think there's like close to 30 or 40 visual effects companies that contributed in some way. And it's this is true. This is just this is across the board in Hollywood. It's never just one company that does this because it would take years for these movies to get completed. There's companies that handle specific scenes or specific um, like specific actions like even I'm going to use the uh, Marvel films, for example, there's a specific company that does like the graphics and the heads up display in Iron Man's helmet. 
it's yeah there's it's all across the board there's certain companies that handle certain things in the movies credit where credit's due man because it's <laughs> it's just insane all the work that goes into these films so with this film how long did it take for like their production because they had to get the cast and it's kind of like typical spielberg where he casts like a bunch of really no-name actors Kind of. I mean, this production cycle was pretty long at first because the, the the original book came out in 2011 and Warner Brothers, because they're Warner Brothers and they saw a good thing, they mm-hmm. bought the film rights very early on. Yeah, this like is 2010, right? The full year before the book was even published. So Warner Brothers just saw the commercial opportunity, bought it, because the same thing happened with The Godfather when it was published. The uh, Paramount scooped up the rights for really cheap and they were able to make the movie. Um, but the original plan was Spielberg always wanted to direct it. Uh, Ernest Klein, the author, uh, the book's no- uh, author, was going to be involved in some way. Um, but there was there was a lot of going on behind the scenes. It took a while for the elements to really kind of come together. It wasn't in- They didn't start casting it until 2015. Um, the rest of the cast was announced shortly after in, in early 2016. And then like, and then filming starts. Um, and then, yeah, filming lasted a couple of months in London because apparently that's a very good industrial crappy setting for Ohio because Ohio is probably just too bleak. <laughs> but, uh, London, I think, strikes the right balance. <laughs> so even bleaker. <laughs> We don't want people that depressed. At least in London, you could see sunshine. I think that's what they're going for. Yeah, like once a month. <laughs> We've been pooping on Ohio quite a bit, haven't we? <laughs> LeBron James is from Ohio. Yeah, he lives in California, though. Yeah, yeah He's so- not taking that big old lansion with the Laker money to Ohio, is he? No. He knows he's doing the right thing staying in California. <laughs> <laughs> to pursue acting. Like in great movies like Space Jam 2. Oh, boy. Oh, what a classic. 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 So underrated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the detail in Bugs Bunny is impeccable. Mm. It's going to set the tone for the next generations coming up. You watch. Yeah, no jokes aside, it already has. <laughs> and that's not a good thing to say. So who's in this movie? It's uh, Isn't like the main guy Wade Todd? Go for it, Chris. <laughs> Wade Watts, not Wade Todd. Wade Owen Watts, so his initials spell out wow, uh, which is fun. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Owen Wilson's apparently joining us on the podcast today. (laughs) Oh, man, he he would be great for TJ Miller's role. Yes! Oh, my gosh, that would have been fantastic. Sorry, sorry. (laughs) Wow. Wow, Nolan, you really want to do this with the Oasis? I don't think that's cool, man. Oh, oh, I see. You want it? You want the control with the keys? Oh, wow. Owen Wilson. We need him more in movies. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Tide Sheridan plays Owen Watts, uh, also known as Parzival in the Oasis. He's had a pretty fun career. I think his first big leading role was a movie called Mud, alongside Matthew McConaughey. That's a criminally underrated movie, in my opinion. Um, I think now he's kind of more known in popular audiences. He was the uh, Cyclops in the uh, in the reboot X Men series, X Men Apocalypse, Dark Phoenix, those films. Um, and he's doing some other things here and there. I think he was in the Tender Bar oh. in twenty twenty one. 
Um, well received, I know that. Yeah. We've also got Olivia Cook as Samantha Cook, also known as Artemis. I think her big claim to fame was uh, she was on the Bates Motel series. Great show. Never saw it. (laughs) (laughs) It's long. It's long. A lot of complications in there, but it's a good good exploration into criminal psyche and psychological issues. Uh, We've also got Ben Mendelsohn as Nolan Sorrento, the big baddie of the movie. Kind of uh, now, I think if you need a villain in the movie, I think he's one of the first people you go to. Yeah, absolutely. He was fantastic as Orson Krennic in Rogue One. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's got that mustache twirling villain ambiance to him. He's got that jawline, too. Oh, yeah. Though I feel like he's kind of typecast. Because wasn't he in uh, Dark Knight Rises, too? He was, yeah. Yeah, yeah he got his uh, face crushed in by Bane. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel like you're in control? And this gives you power over me? <laughs> <laughs> we could do Bane voices for an hour, but that's not what we're here for. <laughs> A lot of quotes for this podcast. <laughs> oh. So he is the stereotypical villain for this movie. Corporate shill. He fills the part very well, but I also mm-hmm. love that Ben Mendelsohn can summon this grand angry energy is you see, i mean it's it, he, if anything you can make the argument it is very reserved in ready player one but you see a lot of big grandiose gestures in rogue one and i think somebody who could play both was necessary for somebody like nolan sorrento Holla. <laughs> we've also got uh lena waith as helen harris also known as h um can't think of anything else i may have seen her in i know oh, she was apparently on westworld at one point um, but I also stopped watching that after season one. I believe she one. was also in uh, Master of None on Netflix. Ah, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, the Aziz and Zars show. Oh. Yeah. I didn't know he was still around. Didn't yeah, he get canceled? Um, uh, based on the cancellation cycle, he's back in the public eye. Okay, fair enough. So he's having a Louis C.K. moment, basically. Yeah, but what? But yeah, sure. But with Master of None... Uh, the first two seasons was really focused on Aziz Azari, but the third season was focused on her and some other character. Uh, no word from Aziz Azari whether or not he's, his character's going to come back in the show. But no, she's been doing some good work lately. Okay, rock on. Uh, we've also got the aforementioned T.J. Miller as Irock. <laughs> so I know Sean and Brian have some thoughts on that. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't know why I dislike the man. His voice. It's nothing personal, TJ, but I just didn't think it was the right cast. I can understand why he was cast, because he does have an improv background. I think he's from Second City. <clears throat> Excuse me, from Second City. But I don't know. I He wasn't, it's like, if you take him out of the film, would, would anybody miss him? No. No, exactly. <laughs> like, he doesn't do anything. He's just there. It's like, well, it's like what you said about him. It feels like T.J. Miller has to explain his jokes to the audience yeah, exactly. for why they're funny. He's like, well, because blah, 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 blah. Like, you're a comedian. Don't explain the jokes. That's like, uh, I can't. I understand my thoughts exactly. Well, I don't know why T.J. Miller is so, like, it's just his voice. You could have had anybody contribute the voice and motion capture. You could have had Andy Serkis do this and it may yeah. have been better. I mean, Andy Serkis is the king of motion capture performance. It just, you know what? It just feels like that his lines were so improvised 
like I don't see like the type of dialogue being written in a Steven Spielberg film, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, it just didn't. It just never worked for me. Yeah, he because his character just seems like almost a bounty hunter. He's been in the Oasis for so long. He has all the artifacts. He's rich, so you'd think that he would be more menacing, more like a Han Solo esque Baba Fett. But it's just the voice doesn't match the character. More menacing than his appearance. Yes. Yeah, because he does look scary. You got to give uh, props to that. But as soon as he start opening his mouth, it's like, yeah, to be honest, my neck is uh, bothering me. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, it's like they wanted that comedy effect, and I don't think the film needed it. No, you know? it's not. No, no. It's not a comedy. It should be just action adventure with special effects spectacle. Yeah. Because there were moments in the film that were funny that didn't need these like grandiose off the cuff punchlines, you know, like that's you can be funny without trying to be funny. Every funny scene in Ready Player One did not contain T.J. Miller. <laughs> Case closed. I agree. <laughs> this is a hot take on T.J. Miller, folks. Love him in Deadpool. Don't love him in this. Fair enough. Yeah, and he was fine in Silicon Valley. Got to give credit where credit's due. Absolutely. All right. All right. Yeah, everybody has a dud every now and then. It's fine. And just for him, it's Ready Player One. But you know who was also in this film that I was kind of shocked but did a really good job with Simon Pegg? It's like I almost didn't know it was him and his acting. I mean, he's such a good actor. He played the old man so well. It's hard not to love Simon Pegg. Because everything he in, he's a freaking delight. Even the Star Trek reboot films, he is fantastic as Scotty. All of the um, Edgar Wright, you know, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, World's End films are great. Mission Impossible. He's great in those too. It's just hard not to love Simon Pegg. And every time you see him on screen, it's like, oh, it's Simon Pegg. (laughs) He's just got that lovable quality. You can't hate him. And he did a really good job in this movie. Exactly. Indeed. Though not on screen for very long. And I think, once again, that like goes to Spielberg because he wanted the focus to be on the young actors, kind of the nobodies. Because he, he, he could have totally bloated the screen time with these more critically acclaimed guys. But you got to respect him for that. He's trying to flesh out talent. His character of Ogden Morrow does play a bigger role in the book. But it's definitely, I think it serves the movie better to have him more as this background character and to have him come in at the end as sort of like, well, I've been helping you all along. Yeah. Yeah. The overseer almost. Right. Because he has that, right? He gives him the coin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The curator. The curator. There we go. Oh, possible. What joy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because how they designed this, because the, well, Who's the guy that was the whole MacGuffin? Was that um, Mark Rylance as James Holiday? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was kind of the whole nerdy doctor that designed the Oasis. And then they had a split at the end or in the beginning. Mm-hmm. So you kind of, it, I wasn't sure if they're going to go the route of Simon Pegg being like the villain of it all. I think it would have been too easy to do that. And I think they, the right, the filmmakers and the writer wanted to make it more reminiscent of the Wozniak jobs pairing for Apple because when Wozniak left Apple there was no animosity between the two Mm. 
Um, Wozniak did his own thing for a while, cashed in his Apple stock options and you know, lived a very comfortable life by you know what everybody can tell. So I don't and it would have been kind of, I think, counterintuitive to make that the antagonistic relationship. I think Halliday's love was tied up in the Oasis and Ogden Morrow understood that it's at the end of the day, it's still a game. I get my joy and my satisfaction from the real world. Yeah, and the importance of the Oasis, too, as opposed to having, like, you know, they had Nolan as the villain, but that makes sense because he didn't make the Oasis. He was just kind of this guy that wanted to get rich and with power, whereas with Ogden, he had that love for Holiday, and he understood the importance of the Oasis, but it had to be. The power had to go to Parzival because he believed in him. He was a good moral kid that was going to take it to the next level. It had to be somebody from within the Oasis that would eventually take control of it. And this is this is a movie and this is a book that's also very steeped in nerd culture. And it makes sense to have somebody who has a love and respect for the Oasis and its creator and what it was designed to do to have somebody win the game, essentially. Yeah, instead of like some random outsider. It's kind of like people that come into games, spend all the money to level up, but yeah. they don't actually take the time to play and enjoy the environment of it. Wait, wait Sean, you don't play like that? Uh, on Clash of Clans, I do. Oh, no. <laughs> uh. Uh, great, you fit right at home in the Battlefront 2 people and all the microtransactions. EA! <laughs> 2K! <laughs> But speaking of like how this film is so steeped in nerd culture, oh my gosh, we could talk about like the nostalgia and how this film just like does so many throwbacks. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I even said before we started recording that I thought about keeping a running list just of all the interesting characters you see or pop culture references, but it is, good God, it is exhausting to keep up. Like if, if you're watching this movie just for that, you're going to be tired in the first 10 minutes. Yeah, you have to, like, make a choice. I'm going to focus on the story or take a chance and just watch everything else. I think Brian talked about that a little bit, how there's just so much going on. So the comparison that I made in the pre-production was a different, because one of the criticisms uh, about this film is that, oh, this is, like, there's too much nostalgia. It's a nostalgia film. It relies on nostalgia, blah, 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 blah. And that comes from the narrative of, uh, modern day films that are making it are I'm sorry of modern films being made for for the sake of nostalgia as opposed to this film the nostalgia is there and it's but there's so much of it it doesn't like pull away from the story and it keeps your eyes active but more importantly I'm gonna I'm gonna use uh, Chucky for example because he is in this uh, in this film if let's say Chucky was in this other film. He's making a cameo. They'll make it a gr- obvious that it is a nostalgia act. It's like, oh, look who we have. Here's Chucky. Look at Chucky. He's got a knife. Wow. But in this film, it's like, oh, yeah, here's Chucky. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't make it obvious. And then they honor the nostalgia. And they and it's not even patronizing as the viewer. And I that's one of the things that I appreciated about this film. But also at the same time, when this film came out it was almost kind of like early on on the uh, nostalgia craze that we've all been 
uh, subject to in our films nowadays. I mean, well, if you look at when this when the original book came out in 2011, I don't I don't know if we had the same appreciation or celebration for 80s culture like we do now. Because the book comes out in 2011. It's a book written by a mega nerd um, for nerds about nerd culture. And just what is it like five years short, five short years later, we have Netflix's biggest series ever, Stranger Things premiere. Mm -hmm which is a celebration of all things 80s pop culture. And now the 80s are just firmly entrenched in people's minds as a culture to, to celebrate. There's a lot of, there's so many great films that came out during the 1980s. So like, I don't know about the music so much. Uh <laughs> oh no, it's being celebrated. Yes. I would say that would be one of my criticisms. And I don't know if it's um, just because I'm tired of the 80s music, but I also love 80s music because it's so cheesy. It's like the perfect, I don't know, just because it has like that symphonic element to it where it's just, you have like all the electronics going on. So it, it works with video game movies, but it is so tongue in cheek. And there were four great Metallica albums that came out in the 80s. So I've got no problem with the music. The greatest album of all time, Thriller. Yeah, <laughs> uh, some of the greatest movies ever, or at least most well-known, like Ghostbusters, Predator, all great movies, and timeless movies, too. I mean, like, even Top Gun. We still celebrate Top Gun to this day. It's got a sequel 39 years later. Everyone loves Top Gun. Absolutely. So the 80s are good. They're good. They even, uh, you know, The Shining, which is a part of this movie, too. Big, big part of this movie, and I think this is... Brian, I think this was something that you wanted to talk about. You had some thoughts on the, the inclusion of The Shining in this movie. Yeah. Um, I Easily my favorite part of the whole film. And that's because like I didn't expect to see The Shining in this film. And the way that they just shot the whole sequence, they honored Stanley Kubrick. Like They could have like used like the TV special that Stephen King liked over this, the Kubrick film which is god-awful. Don't watch the TV special. But no, you're in the Overlook Hotel. You're in the lobby. There's a type typewriter. You get the elevator full of blood, the lady in the bathtub. You get everything. No, nothing held, was held back. But what was most interesting about this film, or at least this sequence, was that Jack Nicholson was approached to return for this film to make a cameo. In terms of what the cameo looks like, whether it's like a CGI uh, Jack Torrance or, you know, old Jack just showing up, um, he declined it. And this was right around the time where Dr. Sleep was in development from, as well. So he declined that as too, which that's a sequel to The Shining. But I thought it was really interesting that they almost had uh, Jack, the actual Jack Torrance to make a return. But don't worry, Jack Nicholson, enjoy your retirement. You've earned it. Enjoy the Lakers losing all them games. <laughs> Burn. I was a little unsure if they were going to have Jack appear, you know, whether it was Nicholson or they're going to do a rendition like Dr. Sleep because, you know, they have all the elements of the shining, the blood, the axe chopping at the door. I felt if they would have had someone peer in be like, here's Johnny, that would have taken me a little over for the nostalgia, but I definitely agree. It's They set it up like it's a video game, and the guy going through it, it was like, I've never seen The Shining, is it scary? You know, you see 
how people playing that game would react to that stuff. Like, oh, okay, this is a hot woman. Sure. Well, they do have a, a cameo of Jack Torrance. You only see the axe and his leg in the maze, and that's it. And they could have used the same actor, uh, spoilers for Dr. Sleep, they could have used the same actor who played Jack Torrance in Dr. Sleep for this film because he did a pretty good job. Oh, yeah. Great movie, but I would say... Oh, so good. Force-fed sci-fi recommendation? Huh? I mean, it's on HBO Max right now. I, I will. I mean, I previously made uh, the works of Mike Flanagan on Netflix my non-sci-fi recommendation of the week. So I guess yeah, we'll do uh, Doctor Sleep as a forced non-sci-fi re- recommendation of the week. Uh, watched it the other night with uh, my girlfriend. So good. Kind of like a superhero film too. So yeah. I actually, yeah. I mean, not to get too far down the Doctor Sleep tangent, which we could go pretty far down. There is a three-hour cut of the movie that is fantastic. Wait, what? Yeah, you didn't know this? No. There's a three-hour cut of Doctor Sleep that's available only on the 4K version. So yeah, be me being me, I bought that, and it's like I have to see the three-hour cut. (laughs) (laughs) I have to know what that's like. Yeah, Uh, gentlemen, I gotta go. Uh, It was a great talking with you. I gotta go see Doctor Sleep. <laughs> well, we've just lost Brian. <laughs> all, right, all right, I'll come back. I'll come back. I did say I did like how with the um, the shining, how they showed those scenes. I liked how they added it to getting the key, you know, and they had that beautiful scene of the dancing corpses and she had to jump from corpse to corpse because I was thinking while watching it. Oh, God, how are they going to? implement the key into this so i'm glad that they took a different approach and kind of in a way added to the shining new elements something that we haven't seen before so that i really enjoyed that part well you well i think if spielberg had his way he would have spent the majority of the film in this shining sequence and there has to be you have to find some way to get out of it and and that connects to the movie because for a second we almost kind of forget that we're in the middle of this easter egg hunt so it is a welcome break from the hunt overall, and we can allow ourselves to get sucked into the world of The Shining. But I also think this sequence here is a testament to Spielberg's love and appreciation for Stanley Kubrick. Just out of curiosity, James Halliday, he took his date to see The Shining? I think so. I think that's how this played out. Why would you take it? go on a date? date to see the shining you take your girlfriend to see scary movies all the time because it's it's built yeah. in, it's built I, in I, snuggling I, you know i just said that i watched dr sleep the other night with my girlfriend i i can't complain <laughs> all right. there is built-in snuggling that comes in with horror films oh, no, especially no, if you watch there it was no one. snuggling it was more like hiding ah! <laughs> that kind of speaks to holiday because he was kind of a nerd or totally and a little socially awkward so the Shining back in the uh, early 80s when it came out, I remember my mom telling me and my dad that it wasn't like this mega hit of a movie. So it was very kind of almost an indie movie for its time. So that kind of speaks to who his character was as opposed to seeing something grandiose that came out at that time. Well, and I think now we have an appreciation for The Shining that maybe wasn't present in the 80s and 90s. And I think now with the benefit of you know, deeper analysis and plus the the pitiful attempts from Stephen King to try to redeem the Shining story and also Dr. Sleep a bit too. Like, you could make the argument that The Shining is probably the scariest movie that's ever been made. I definitely agree. A man losing his mind at like an a, abandoned hotel. That's, got, that's just terror. 
And there's so many great elements as to what makes that film in particular scary. It uses a lot of tritones in the score, which is also known as the devil's note. It sounds unnatural. It's unsettling. The nature, the, the setting itself of the Overlook Hotel, incredibly isolated snowstorm. Nobody can get there. And then also the stories of the ghosts and the murders and the circumstances that have happened there all permeate the movie. And then the performances of Shelley Duvall and Jack Nicholson, knowing what we know about what Stanley Kubrick put Shelley Duvall through, I have oh, yeah. I have a newfound appreciation for her and her work. Oh. She was legit. Better be legit. She if was you not. Say she over- wasn't legit. She was not overacting. Oh. She was legit terrified. I think like even Jack Nicholson voiced his opinion on how stressful the shoot was because Kubrick was just so perfectionist. Endless takes of him trying to get the quote-unquote perfect shot. Like, you can see on YouTube some preparation scenes for Jack where he's about to use the axe, and he's, like, slapping himself. Yeah, He's going crazy. Well, Nicholson was also a volunteer firefighter, so he actually knew how to chop down the door with the axe. Wait, for real? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That guy, like, newfound... Re- that's like Steve Buscemi yeah. for uh, 9-11. Yeah. That is so cool. You know what's also cool? Ready Player One. <laughs> yeah, we should probably get back on track. I, as much as we could talk shining all day, but uh, I don't think the listeners are here for that. But it's, I, well, Spielberg has always had this appreciation for Kubrick. I mean, a, a lot of his science fiction films have been a feature callbacks to uh, films um, like um, 2001 A Space Odyssey. And and others. And even at one point, they were set to work together on AI or artificial intelligence. But Kubrick uh, ultimately passed away during production and Spielberg took over directing responsibilities Mm -hmm. and really changed it. And I think Spielberg wanted some last way to honor Kubrick's legacy before he moved on to his, you know, the auteur, you know, later state of his film career. So this is kind of like for me, I think this is the last sort of tribute we'll get to Kubrick from Spielberg. And well-deserved. It's He did a phenomenal job. Indeed. Do you guys want to talk a little bit about the Oasis and I the do. intricacies? Because I know you talked about, Chris, how in the book it's so much more vast, like with education and et cetera, as opposed to what the film we actually get. It's so focused on just getting the keys. The, the book does a much better job of going into detail exactly where you can go, what you can do, and how you can act, really, in the Oasis. The, the first, I would say, quarter of the book, or at least the first um, maybe 10% of it, takes place on an educational hub. Because this is also something that's glossed over in the movie, is Wade is still in school. He's young enough to be in school. There's educational hubs, because all of you know formal classroom instruction is done in the Oasis. No, but there's no school's built anymore from what i can tell and he wade blows off school to go look for you know to do egg hunting basically um there's so many other hubs that you can go to there's the star wars hub star trek i mean and the and the movie touches on this very briefly like oh yeah climb up mount everest with batman it's like okay yeah sure but we don't get this that sense of grandiosity in this movie and that's that was a bit of a bummer for me it's kind of like a throwaway it's just like Here's the, all these worlds, but let's focus on this one. Yeah, it's it's almost like I've said, I feel like this would be such a good TV show to explore more in depth of the Oasis. Because that's interesting that education is taking place in the Oasis. Like, 
it's almost more impotence on the Oasis than living real life. There is, and we definitely see it in the movie because it seems like everyone's connected to to the Oasis. But we don't really get the intricacies of this world. We don't see how other people make money. We get the big sense that IOI is the big corporation controlling everything and therefore has all the money. We don't see you know how people are going to school. I mean, we see a classroom during Holiday's eulogy, but it's in the real world. It's not in the Oasis. So I feel like the movie really just scratched the surface on what actually is possible in this world. Because that's what it is. It's a world. It's a universe where you can go anything and do anything, but we're just everything is wrapped up in this egg hunt. And like how important the Oasis is to real life. Like, is there life outside of the Oasis? Do people still live their lives? Like work day jobs, you know, are there deniers of the Oasis, you know? There's got to be. I mean, because there's always some grand backlash to any sort of great innovation or you know, great piece of technology. There's people who go off the grid or don't have chips in their debit cards or still use brick phones that you can't track. Yeah, but it was increasingly hard to obtain those things as we progress through time. I mean, you could always just wrap it in a, a bag of potato chips and they can't track you. Yeah. And then build a tinfoil hat. <laughs> or, or I prefer to just use like a Chrome extension just to call and call it a day. Mm, that too. <laughs> tinfoil hat. You didn't know that trick, Sean? You hide your phone in a in a bag of chips and they can't and they can't track the location. No. Now you do. No. You see, if you saw Terminator Dark Fate, you know that that's a Sarah Connor trick. I mean, I w- I was wondering why you know Space Force cadets all have tinfoil hats and uh, you know potato chip bags, but now you've shed light on it. Now, when you say Space Force cadet, do you mean just like the the MAGA people? Like, what are you talking about here? Well, I'm talking. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. The guys that love that flag, that big, black, beautiful flag. Oh, you know, sure. it's a part of us now. <laughs> Sean, edit that out. <laughs> and we're back. <laughs> I was actually at a, uh, a ruck march the other day. And so they were calling out the different branches before we stepped off. And, you know, Navy, etc. So the lady actually called out Space Force. Oh. And so no one cheered because no one was there. And um, the sergeant that I was with next to me is like, uh, no, I don't see any. Because if you'd see them, they'd be wearing tinfoil hats. <laughs> oh, the Space Force. But back to this Ready Player One. <laughs> so who, because the author was the step-off point for the book. Did they take part in any of like the production with the movie? Did they write anything? So originally, Ernest Klein wrote the first draft of this screenplay. And there's sort of like this unwritten rule in Hollywood that you don't have the author write the screenplay because they're not going to be able to change things and make the necessary cuts as needed. There's certainly exceptions to that. Um, Like The Godfather, for example, like Mario Puzo wrote the novel and the book, but Puzo also had help from Francis Ford Coppola, who's one of the greatest screenwriters that's ever lived. Um, So there's certainly exceptions to that, but... From what I understand, Warner Brothers was not thrilled with his first cut of of the screenplay because there's many elements in the novel that do not translate well to film. Like the we talked extensively about the shining sequence. That was not in the book. That original sequence was meant to be War Games with Matthew Broderick, where the Wade's avatar inhabits like a, a, a Matthew Broderick avatar and he has to act out the movie. You know, line for line, scene by scene, all the motions that 
that they go through and he gets like point bonuses and that's how he gets the second key. But obviously that doesn't translate well to film. Yeah, definitely better than The Shining. No, I, I'm glad that they didn't have that. Yeah, and I'm glad too. I think, yeah, that would not translate well on the screen in my opinion. There's also several elements of the original novel that are omitted too. Like at one point, Wade finds himself um, captured by IOI instead of Samantha. And there's a there's a very long time lapse in the novel compared to the film. Okay. Like the film, the novel takes place, I think, over like six to seven months. Whereas obviously those events are condensed into a much shorter time frame in this movie. Yeah, I was tech when I was watching the film, I was texting with my friend Byron. He um he he read the book and he told me that Artemis and Wade didn't really meet until like towards the end of the book or the very end they meet. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that was like and I thought that was interesting in from choice in the book, but I thought it it worked out better for them in the movie to meet about halfway through. Though I did, my criticisms were their love story seemed kind of rushed and a little creepy because it's like your biggest fan is like in love with you. And then she's just like, oh, okay. (laughs) But when they met in the real world and is and Samantha showed Wade her birthmark and he was like all handsy with with her with her face. And he's like, oh, this doesn't bother me at all. And I'm like, you're letting this stranger touch your face face like not just like a portion but like half your face (laughs) i've seen all your youtube videos that's just yeah that there's no way to say that where that doesn't sound creepy no well because didn't they get handsy well she was kind of like playing him in the oasis which that kind of threw me too i was like oh crotch simulators what are your thoughts <laughs> yeah uh, that scene i don't know okay like they have there's certain games where you're sure that might work for but if you're gonna play you know star wars jedi fallen order you don't want that i'm just like this is a steven spielberg film well this is definitely he's pushing the boundaries all right <laughs> we're approaching some icky teenage love scenes here <laughs> yes yeah. i mean at the same token i understand because in the future as humans we all are as we progress technologically, someone is going to make that type of technology. But the thing is, it's like also that's, you know, speaking of the same crotch simulators uh, for Ready Player One, Sorrento wore his when he was fighting Wade. Yeah. And he got kicked in the sack and he felt it. Like, why would you wear a crotch simulator when you're fighting someone in the virtual world when you could feel the pain? Why would you wear these haptics at all? Like like you were saying, exactly. you can w- feel this pain, Like, especially in the scene in the dance club where they're ambushed and Wade gets hit. He feels that because he's wearing the haptic suits. Just take the, Just take the thing off. Right. Exactly. It feels so real. You would only need that for certain situations, and they're very icky situations. I, I see. I agree. I was. I was thinking about that while watching the movie. I'm like, why would you want to feel what it feels like to get shot? That is a horrifying feeling. No. Yeah. And like how? Not that I've been shot, but I can only. I've. I've seen enough. <laughs> like if you fall off of a building and quote unquote die in the game, I'm curious like how the brain would react to that because I'm sure the brain wouldn't know the difference. So. What about your heart? You know, I mean, maybe because it's so far in the future, they've gone through the analysis of that. So everyone's used to it. But I don't know, man, that sensitivity rating on those. Just watch Mark Zuckerberg's listen to this podcast, taking notes. (laughs) (laughs) New Oculus full suit with crotch simulation 2.0. 
for his uh his meta uh, his his you know mr robot trying to tell people like hey buy more of my robot products i don't really understand like the meta i don't understand it either i know it's it's problematic yes i i just know snoop dogg bought a bunch of like land on there but that's not real that's not real so he bought fake land in a virtual reality place that can just be gone with the push of a button you know chris i it sounds like you're making it sound like it's a scam (laughs) that's because it is a scam (laughs) NFTs, crypto, metaverse, it's all a scam. <laughs> it's all a freaking scam, people. It even says in the commercials, this is a highly volatile market. Translation, it's a scam. <laughs> so for my full-time job, I'm, I'm involved in digital marketing. And when the whole announcement of the metaverse was public, everybody was met with so much skepticism, except for like social media influencers and Gen Zers. And as from a business perspective, it's important for us to understand it. And yeah, we might as well just jump the train by trademarking certain terms like, uh, I can't really say anything because I don't want to reveal where I work for. But at the same time, this was like, when it was announced about a year ago, so 2021, summertime, given the context where we're at right now, May 2022, the economy's tanking. Nobody's really investing in Bitcoin anymore on google trends nfts bitcoin they're down nobody the whole uh, metaverse thing isn't looking so well especially considering that meta the, uh, the parent company of facebook has lost billions because of it it's not it's not great like you can make the argument that the crypt the like you were saying brian the entire crypto market is crashing currently and there's no stopping it no is because everybody in the real world is using their real money for real things. On I was on a TikTok the other day and I saw like a video and I hope this is let me preface this by saying I really hope this is a parody, but there is a guy who when who has a side hustle of in the metaverse and he works at a subway shop making point zero zero three uh Bitcoin per hour. That's the <laughs> that's the thing that really kind of gets glossed over when you're quote unquote mining for Bitcoin is you can it is very difficult to get a full Bitcoin anymore. You it, can get it, a percentage it, of one, like this poor guy making subway sandwiches in the metaverse. Virtual subs, <laughs> making virtual subs, which by the way you How can't eat. How's that gonna feed you? <laughs> I'm just so confused. Why? And you know the thing is too, the metaverse does not look nearly as good as the oasis the oasis looks incredible like you know get juice me up baby i'll go right into the oasis but the metaverse that looks like 2000s graphics right there it's just the beginning brian it's like a downgrade of minecraft exactly like my you know when you know it's not going well when minecraft looks better right and Minecraft Ouvre is looking like it's from an early Xbox. Yeah. I'm still just, why would you work at a subway? Like, in the metaverse. I, I get it. Like, part of me gets it because he's, like, an influencer. So, like, that's yeah. his job. So, I'm going to work with the real people, you know, do the day job. But it's like, no, why would I want to work and then go somewhere and work again? 
Although that makes the argument is working at Subway in the metaverse working at Subway in the real, real world? That's a good question. Or is it better than working at Subway in the real world? Because, I mean, I've been to enough Subways to know, like, it's not great. Bro, I just, like, had a thought because of my research background. I can see in 30 years studies going from <laughs> by scholars being like, the compare and contrasting, the rights, <laughs> and everything between meta and regular Subway. But... but but more to like what Brian is saying, like the metaverse does not look as pristine as the Oasis and the Oasis looks like it's this gorgeous, pure landscape untouched by, you know, trolls or, you know, evil or toxicity. And you have something in the metaverse. There's stories of people who are logging on within the first 20 seconds. There are people that are show up behind them performing, you know, lewd acts behind them or all kinds of alt-right, mm-hmm. you know, troll toxicity and conspiracy theories. Because guess what? Facebook doesn't do a great job of pr- policing its own platform. Yeah. So what the hell do you think is going to happen when you create a virtual reality world? So the idea of virtual reality, it's been around for a long time. I know Nintendo pioneered it with uh, their headset. I forgot what it was called. And uh, there was a, a, a video game in the 2000s that was very similar to what the uh, the metaverse is. And you can argue maybe The Sims is kind of like a virtual reality. I think it's just a fact because it's the metaverse is tied with Facebook, and Facebook is a very trustworthy company that it's getting all the scrutiny and all the hate. And I'm not, I'm not anti-virtual reality. I think there's very good benefit. There could be some good possible benefits down the road. But right now where it's at, like we have to go all in on it. We have to go and purchase digital property as opposed to real property. I I don't I'm not I'm not for that. Not now. Just got to get on it, Brian. Oh, and, and by the way, uh, Brian, uh, you're thinking of the virtual boy from Nintendo. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Chris. Virtual boy. Yeah. So then in the metaverse, if you go into Facebook jail, is the metaverse jail just like a cell? Like, do you log on one day and you're just behind bars? Or what if they lock you into uh, Butcher Bay, the prison from the, the Riddick game from the <laughs> I'm original Xbox? I'm not even worried Xbox. about any of those things because, like, when you put on the os- and on the Oculus or whatever the heck they call it, you know how Facebook collects your your data just by all of your movements on Facebook and all the links that you click. What? Yeah. You didn't. You knew this, okay. right? <laughs> They're messing with us, right? Yeah. Oh, we. Oh, we want to. This how we're gonna track people is we're gonna collect their information by keeping people on Facebook. <laughs> Which uh, that may or may not be a thing that they said. Don't quote me on that. But, uh, um, it's bad enough that like they already have all your information. Then you put on the headset, and then they have your like, eyes, right? Yeah, and record your voice. It's like people who willingly spit in the cups and just just to see, like, hey, what region of the world do I come from? It's like you know what you know is somebody evil is gonna do that for? Like, I have a very big problem with just this whole genetic testing industry, and I have a very big problem with how tech companies you'll gather information and also creating worlds like this it just seems like it's rife for scam artists for mm-hmm. opportunists who want to you know jump on this and use it for nefarious purposes however in ready player one like i don't know what sort of controls gregarious games set for you know to keep the oasis as pristine and as clean as it is i have to know <laughs> it's good anti software or whatever whatever they're doing we got to get a slice of that pie 
whatever holiday came up with. It seemed like it was a lot of work. (laughs) No wonder all those people worshipped him. Holiday, though, kind of reminded me of Steve Jobs in a way, because in this film, he's been dead for like five years. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what kickstarts off the chase for the keys and the power. But I believe that's the only him dying reminds me of Steve Jobs. Nothing else. I don't believe Apple has. He's still, I mean, more to your point, like Steve Jobs is still very much deified within Apple culture. You have scores of Apple followers who, I don't know, they maybe go to the campus in Cupertino, pull out the runes and try to summon the spirit of Steve. (laughs) Um, But I think that's true of a lot of, you know, deceased innovators like Henry Ford is still celebrated, even though he was a problematic individual. Mm -hmm. Steve Jobs, all you got to do is read up on, you know, Steve Jobs tried to deny the results of his own blood test because he didn't want to pay child support, even though he was a multi-billionaire. Steve Jobs, I mean, yes, brilliant mind, not the best of people, but we don't but we don't get this sense with James Holiday that he was an awful person. Quirky, definitely. Maybe awkward socially, but I think ultimately he wanted to create something that was pure and pristine that would bring people together and have fun doing it. And he did, especially at the end when uh, the main character comes together with him in, I guess, like his old apartment or where he grew up as a kid. I think it was his childhood attic because we all we all had spaces like that in our home in our childhood homes growing up that was either covered with posters or it was the video game corner or we had you know vhs copies of ghostbusters or et on the floor he's a good guy seemed like a good guy he like he would be fun to hang around with or like try to you know collaborate on a video game together with absolutely you know sean you 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 said that uh, james halliday reminded you of steve jobs he to me he reminds me of like a combination of steve jobs and Garth from Wayne's World. Oh, okay. More so in his mannerisms and, yeah, maybe his hair, too. Oh, yeah. His hair was pretty bonkers. Definitely. I think there's also some uh, Nolan Bushnell in there, too. Bushnell was the founder of Atari. Um, that mm. definitely really sparked the, the video game craze and industry. So there's a lot of interesting elements with yeah. Jane. I think it's the best of uh, people like Steve Jobs. Um maybe Garth from Wayne's World thrown in there too and Nolan Bushnell just rolled into one and we get (laughs) (laughs) car game on game on (laughs) this isn't a Wayne's World podcast as much as I would love for that to be the case no this is a shining podcast (laughs) (laughs) it's not even a sci-fi podcast (laughs) it is though to go back the Oasis it's not toxic and that was a good thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that it wasn't that representation. It could maybe be because in 2018, the, like that alt-right nonsense wasn't um, so prevalent as it is four years later. Mm-hmm. Who knows? But I really like the nice, sleek oasis. It seemed it was really inclusive. You know right away that you're in a virtual world. Like the special effects are amazing. It's detail the level of detail is something i haven't seen before you know outside of you know the chin wrinkles on thanos (laughs) (laughs) but you know right away where you are and 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 the the lighting is incredible for it and it's there's no mistaking that you're not in the oasis they made a good job making it very obvious that it it is a a video game yeah it was it was something that I wanted to play. Yeah, because yeah, if they try to make it like it's real life, then I, I don't know how I would feel about that. 
but it looks but it looks uh very vibrant it I mean, everything's extremely detailed and it i mean get me get me the goggles i'm ready to jump in <laughs> brian is pro oasis i'm pro oasis anti-meta i i i have to agree with that like i would if this existed in our world right now i don't know if i would be able to stay out of it because it looks like so much fun like if you wanted to you could buy oasis gear and you know act out one of the gunfights in aliens or something or you could be a ghostbuster or you could uh you could reenact the chase from french connection if you wanted to yeah is the so then with like that because this movie at the end of it all says you know real life is important we have to be able to step out of the oasis is there any fears that potentially you know as most steven spielberg's films like it's a warning for the technology of the future could this be a potential reality that people would be inclined to do that i think we're kind of in that right now with the metaverse and bitcoin and nfts because right now earlier this year remember in the super bowl we there's like six or eight nine commercials promoting bitcoin and nfts well maybe just bitcoin I, I don't lots know. of crypto commercials lots of you're right though lots of cryptocurrency commercials now things all those conversations about living in virtual reality buying investing in nfts cryptocurrencies they're incredibly quiet now because because kind of like 2020 during the pandemic where everybody is forced to relook at their lives whether that is through you know through covid or the great resignation or whatever now where we're at in our in our world where uh the economy is currently where it's at the housing market's just in shambles and are along with our current events, I believe many people are rethinking the idea of do we really want to like invest all of our time and energy and our funds in a world that only exists on a hard drive? Or do we just want to, you know, go out and see the world and live our own lives? Because it's the real thing and it doesn't really cost as much. That was like a campaign speech, Brian. Oh, you guys didn't know I'm running for president. <laughs> it's always fun when we have guests on because they always say things that, like, Sean and I maybe do. <laughs> you know, well, no, too dumb to notice. Well, no, as someone who that's involved with the digital marketing, this is part of conversations that I've had with uh, leaders about is this worth investing? Now, some of the industries I've been involved in was education, uh, manufacturing, um, most recently uh, hair and cosmetics, uh, food and beverage, and these are questions that we've we've had about is it worth investing some dollars in and w- and we have some trademarks that have gone through because so we're just like prepping ourselves just in case but right now the answer is no um maybe if it was like let's say you know 4 6 months ago it would be a different conversation but there'll still be some hesitation but i still think it's too early to say that, oh, the virtual reality is going to be the next big thing. It's just too soon to call. And what we're seeing right now is a lot of people, they're just, they're backing out on it. But I understand why people go to virtual reality because it's important. It's it's escapism. Mm -hmm. It's the same reason why, you know, people pay thousands of dollars to go to Disney World or why people save up all their credit card points to go on that uh, flight to Europe. Or to 
is hell. It's even why people jump out of planes. It's because they want to, you know, escape life and enjoy do something thrilling and just enjoy themselves after a while. And I think more to what you're saying too, Brian. I think we're still very much in an age where so much of our world is transitioning digitally that we don't have a quite a firm understanding as to the complexities of this. I mean, it seems like all the time there's some new, you know, a rug pull or a pump and dump scheme that, you know, people who invest in crypto fall victim to, or there's, you know, something that happens online that, you know, upsets people. There's still so much about this digital world and this digital economy that people don't understand. No, and it's not, and, you know, we, and we'll probably never understand because technology is always evolving and it's an, nearly impossible to be like at the forefront of it the only thing we can do is you know for me at least is just to be open to everything and understand that not everything is black and white mm -hmm. there's a lot of complexities everything's there's a lot of nuance to everything and it's just you know what we know today is going to is going to be different tomorrow and the next day and we have to be open to that and yeah i mean like the virtual reality space like it has potential to do some good things but right now it's the wild wild west put on the headset and before you know it you'll have like a 12 year 12 year old defecating on your head yeah well what they do in, in halo they teabag you teabag yeah yeah that's what i was going for they do, not they do the they do the the, the crouch not, motion not doing an amber turd no <laughs> shots fired <laughs> I mean, it's been fired. I mean, she's done regardless. Yeah, we all know she pooped in that bed. Oh, she... God. The dog God. didn't do it, just like the dog didn't eat the homework. Uh, career... Ugh. But to speak to... <laughs> to, sp to agree, though, with you, Brian, absolutely. I think those are great questions asked. And I think you're absolutely right. The technology's not there yet, but it's good questions to have. And always, though, in with the movie don't forget the reality that we live in mm -hmm. because it, at the end of the day, it's escapism. Um, that's great, but we don't want, I don't, I know for me personally, I don't want to live my life looking at a screen or trying mm -hmm. to get out of the reality in which I live. Mm -hmm. You know, we, and we, we see it now, even like outside of virtual reality, like just being on social media all the time. Some people's lives are consumed with that. Right. And it's like, are we actually living? Yeah. That's another thing too. Um, kind of i want to make one last point when you listen to social media influencers it's okay to be skeptical of what they what they say because there's a lot of them that are promoting the virtual reality space and cryptocurrency and nfts looking at you gary v <laughs> it's okay to disagree and just because they have a strong following does not mean they're everything they say is you know true to their word it's the god's word or it's golden it's okay to be a you know, be skeptic of things. There's this one person who's a Gen Zer who, and I follow them because they they bring up some interesting points. They said, "Oh, guys, this is going to be groundbreaking technology. It's Google Glasses." Mm. And like we've seen that before. It didn't work then. It's not going to work now. The only difference is that it's, it's a little bit more stylish. But yeah, Tant I'm I'm done with this tangent. It's a good tangent because these are things that we should be questioning about in terms of how we relate to technology and how it's become more integrated into everybody's lives. Everybody is, is touched by technology at some point or is connected to technology. Yeah. And if you're, especially like if you're younger, I can understand like how appealing that is. Cause like you, when you're in your, you're in your teens or your twenties, it, 
it can look appealing and it, and it can be fun. But I'm going to be 31 uh, this week. And I can't think about that stuff now. Like I'm thinking about a home. I'm thinking about marriage. I'm thinking about raising a family, all that fun stuff. And now I'm being asked to like, you know, take all of that and invest it in something that may or may not work. Or just because it worked for Drake or for some other uh, person. Like, no, no. The real, no matter what, how many influencers will say that the digital space is the next big thing, it will, it will not surpass reality. Amen to that, brother. And you got to remember, it's like they all have an in on it because it impacts their business, which is to sell the experience of escapism. Looking at you, Logan Paul. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Making money off your followers by telling them to invest in your cryptocurrency. It's nonsense because in the regular business world, you can't do that. You can't cut as many corners as social media people do. And so it's just it's important to whenever people give you, quote unquote, advice, Follow the research because, you know, I'm a big research head. I think it's important to look at articles, talk to actual scientists, not what a quote unquote doctor says, you know, follow the breadcrumbs to groups of people that have done research for a long time about ideas. Because just because one person says like that and they have a quote unquote compelling or passionate speech about it doesn't make it valid because you can see like that with, you know, going back to the best dictators, Hitler, anyone. You know, just because someone's passionate about something doesn't make it right or objectively for the greater good. So you always got to remember that with people. What's their morals and ethics? Well, I think that's also a, a good this is also a good time to transition into the fun side of this, this podcast. Not kind of transition away from the heavy <laughs> portions and warning people to be leery about uh, the technology they encounter or the good that people try to espouse. If you made it this far in the show, congratulations. <laughs> yes. We're, we now are at the portion where we talk about lens flares. <laughs> so, TJ Miller. <laughs> um <laughs> No, we've already talked about T.J. Miller, but I do have one lens flare in that it's the final act of this film. Because so the first two acts of this film were really good. The quintessential Steven Spielberg, in my opinion. But there's something about the final act. It just didn't add up right. The pacing was really staccato and just the cut cutting and the sequencing. It was just all over the place. Like when when uh when Parcel catches or receives, not catches, receives the each Easter egg, Sorrento opens the van, pulls the gun, doesn't do anything. The van door closes. Van door opens up again. It's uh, Simon Pegg. Van door closes again. Van door opens up. It's the cops. Van door closes again. Van door's open up. It's a bunch of lawyers. Van door's close again. And van door's open up. And everybody's there cheering them on as if, like, they were never there. And it was just so, it was it was a bit rough, but... They did stick the landing, and I usually judge a film by how it ends, and it was a good ending, but I just wish that there wasn't so much turbulence. I like that. That was fantastic. because, <laughs> And I actually totally agree with you, Brian. That was very much my lens flare as well. Very chaotic, and I wasn't sure what the point of all those were, except for maybe to have some humor added to the film. I think it could have had a much simpler smoother ending to get to the point which is simon Pegg was with him at all time you know but movie's got a movie 
uh, but I had a bigger lens flare. It is during the the final act of the movie, during the final battle. But for me, it's when all of the Master Chiefs come over the hill <laughs> with battle rifles. <laughs> like really, we, there's just a battalion of Master Chiefs, and none of you could come up with any other like better avatars. Like again, if you want to wear the Master Chief helmet, that's cool. Or use the battle rifle from Halo. That is an amazing. Just switch out a color palette. Right. Just like you don't don't have to wear the same color. It's like just switch it up like red versus blue or something. Absolutely. I know when I played the Wii or the Wii, Jesus, the Switch, and I played Mario Kart, I always switched the colors because, you know, I don't want to be regular Mario. Yeah. Or like when I played Super Smash Brothers, like I'd always be Link. But yeah, like I want to wear the red Link outfit or the blue Link. Yeah. You don't got to go with the original. Yeah. Original's fine. It's a little boring. Yeah. And plus, if there's four links fighting on screen, you got to differentiate some way. Absolutely. We know the Internet. The <laughs> Internet is a wild place. So that's lens flares for you, folks. What about red shirts, yellow shirts? I think we're going to have to go with yellow shirts because I don't know if anybody actually dies. Oh, there's a red shirt, T.J. Miller. <laughs> <laughs> his avatar dies, but he doesn't. Oh, no, his career died after that one. Oh! <laughs> I would say the red shirt for me would be um, the parents, or his aunt. Yeah, his aunt and uncle, all the people in the stacks that got blown uh, up. Yeah, uh, all yeah. the people from Wade's, yeah. Uh, like yeah, how, but, uh, they, but they were not good people. I mean, his his aunt's boyfriend punched him in the face. But, like, their death didn't impact him in a way, you know? No. I mean, I guess it shows to how little they were of an importance to his life, but mm-hmm. they were kind of just, like, murdered and then cast off. Like, he was like, oh, we're just going to keep going. Hey, if it wasn't going to be the bombs, it was just how that building was structured that was going to get them. That is an element that was retained from the the book, is those uh, the stacking trailer homes. Oh, I know. I just don't know how that works. I'm not a physicist, so or an architect. Lots of steel beams. Lots yeah. of beams. <laughs> how are you, Chris? Um, I'm gonna pick a red, uh, a yellow shirt, and I I think Simon Pegg is my yellow shirt. I li- I like the idea of him being this you know ever, uh, this omnipresent figure in the Oasis. Not directly helping Wade and Artemis, but playing his part and then showing up at the end and, you know, really having a heartwarming moment with Wade. So, yeah, Simon Pegg, love ya. <laughs> Brian, do you have any? Yeah, it would be Daito. Or, yeah, for my yellow shirt. He didn't, in the final act, even though I, I know I just trashed it a little bit, or criticized, sorry, he, he did came out when the time needed. Or when the time was right. And he came out as a uh, Gundam, right? And uh, really just h- handled Mega Godzilla or God- Godzilla, whatever. Sorrento's Godzilla. And didn't necessarily defeat Godzilla, but did enough to weaken him. Mm. And, and it was also, I thought it was a cool character too. And did not get enough a t- screen grab or screen grab, screen time, in my opinion. Kick butt. What about Toxic Fandom? Oh, probably our favorite part of the show, Sean, <laughs> where we talk about wh- what just made people so angry they had to take to the internet to protest. So, <clears throat> when Sorrento enters the Oasis to discuss the third challenge, the IOI soldier says the challenge is the Atari 2600, and there are thousands of games. In reality, there are only 528 games for the Atari 2600. These include... Actual Atari-created games, games created by third parties, and homemade games. 
there is a silence that just permeated the room there. <laughs> well, I didn't know that. Then this film is terrible. <laughs> oh, Brian's just all, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe it. Like, it's, uh, why? Well, if they're, if they're so good, uh, why don't they go to Hollywood and write up a screenplay? That's basically the question we ask ourselves every time we open the goof section of IMDb. It's like those people that when you mispronounce a word, but it doesn't detract from the point, they're like, nope, that's how you say it. And it's like, thanks, thanks, douchebag. I'm just trying to tell a story here, and you're just going to interject. I mean, I, I do the same thing sometimes, except I'm a, a there, there, there pedant. <laughs> yes. Like, everyone I know is, like, older. Like, you should all know which there, there, there to use. <laughs> he reminds me of the character from South Park that says, Simpsons did it. Simpsons did it. Simpsons did it. <laughs> it's like, okay, you're shouting, but nobody's listening. <laughs> It's just like Twitter. <laughs> ah! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for that. It's always a joy in my life to hear about the toxicity of <laughs> fandom. There will always be hate, and but we all have the choice to whether or not we receive it or ignore it. And the best choice is to just ignore it because it ain't worth it. So with all that in mind, let's discuss the legacy of Ready Player One. We're far enough. I think we're far enough removed. We can act. We can appropriately talk about it. Um, this was released in early 2018. Um, massive financial success. I don't think not as much as they were hoping for, but worldwide gross of 500 and nearly 583 million dollars against a pretty sizable production budget. So I don't. So yeah, it certainly made some money, but I don't think it was the mega blockbuster on a scale of like Jurassic Park that Spielberg was hoping for. Mm-hmm. And 2018 was a pretty busy year, though. Yeah, I mean, and this was also three months removed from Star Wars The Last Jedi. So, I mean, there's probably some stiff competition for butts and seats at the movie theater right, at the time. Right. I mean, 2018, like a month after, or like two months after, or not even like two weeks after this, like Avengers Infinity War comes out. Um, you also have Black Panther that come that's out a month before oh. Ready Player One. Um, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is also oh. out this same year. Ant-Man and the Wasp is out. Oh. <laughs> Even Aquaman is out. Oh. <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, I heard Aquaman was the greatest DC film of all time. Uh, well, that was the uh, that's the Batman, but you know. <laughs> 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 Just looking at the top blockbusters from the year: Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom, Incredibles two. Uh, Mission Impossible Fallout, Deadpool 2. Like, it's unfortunate. Like, yes, Ready Player One made a ton of money. It didn't even crack the top 10 of highest grossing films that year. I think it's just a victim of uh, timeliness. Yeah, I mean, you, you move your release window three months away, so you don't compete with Star Wars, but you also wind up competing with two of the biggest Disney blockbusters that have ever been released. You're sandwiched in between Black Panther and Infinity War. Some heavy hitters. And Black Panther, I don't know if you guys remember this, but this that was in the theaters for a long time. Indeed it was. It was number one at the box office. What was it, like 12 weeks in a row or something? Or like 10 out of 12 weeks it was in theaters? It was It was even still competing with Infinity War when, it, when that came out. Academy Award nominated film. Yeah. And it's hard. I think Ready Player One is very nuanced, different. And so it wasn't what the audiences were expecting at that time as, you know, all those movies you've laid out, a lot of superhero films. So 
plus March, I feel like, is a bad month for movies. You don't really see a lot of films grossing a bunch. Well, especially for blockbusters like this. It is, I mean, if you have a film like Black Panther that's just blowing everything away, mm-hmm. I think the argument could have been made to like, okay, well, why don't we, instead of releasing this in March, let's look at a June-July release where there's a bit of a deluge in things, and we could... I mean, because I would put this up against Ant-Man and the Wasp. I mean, granted, Ant-Man and the Wasp is still going to take away some, you know, ticket sales from Ready Player One, but it's also going to be more successful than just, you know, nearly $600 million. Amen to that, brother. Plus, it feels like a summer film. It does. um, It also doesn't quite hold up with the critics as well. I mean, Rotten Tomatoes has this at a 72% rating. I think CinemaScore has this as an A-. So, I mean, this is still, I think it's held up well to online reviews. Yeah, 72%. That's a C. C's get degrees. <laughs> Just remember, even C students get to become doctors. Heck, I got a master's degree from, from it. <laughs> no, that's just kidding. No, my GPA was a 3.9. There, there you go. go. But who's bragging, right? I mean. A little bit. <laughs> well, I want to, like, did you, did you guys see this in theaters? Like, did, did it register, like, on your radar for you when it was out? Uh, no, I, I worked at Barnes & Noble, so I was familiar at one point in my life, so I'm familiar with the book. Never got a chance to see it. I only got a chance to, to watch it when it was streaming on HBO Max. Okay. Yeah, and they highlighted it pretty prominently, too. So I'm, I'm really curious to see how many views that movie has received, you know, once it started, once it was placed on uh, HBO Max. But I don't know if we'll have ever, ever have access to those types of metrics. No, they only release metrics for the big ones. So like Zack Snyder's Justice League or the Batman or Dune, you know, those metrics get released, but right. not something like this. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember seeing this. I was pumped to see this because I was a huge fan of the book. And this was a busy time for me seeing movies because <laughs> this came out and then the following weekend, uh, Quiet Place came out. So I was at the movie theaters a lot in 2018. <laughs> I did not see it. I... Uh... I don't know. I think I was just busy with school, busy with life, and I pulled a Sean Connery where I couldn't quite understand the movie or what it was about. (laughs) This is like Lord of the Rings. I don't understand this. Why would I watch a movie about nostalgia? You mean I can't just show up and punch people and shoot people? (laughs) Pretty much. This is is confusing to me. (laughs) I didn't understand it, and now I do. So, So thank you, Chris, for introducing this to my life. (laughs) uh some award uh uh, accolades as well nominated for an academy award for best visual effects unfortunately that did not win some saturn award nominations it did win for best science fiction film which is shocking to me um given the the deluge of great science fiction films that were out in 2018 um also nominated for best director best music and best special effects um so yeah pretty cool awards at the saturns um I don't know if you guys saw this too, but John Williams did not do the music for Ready Player One. So, I mean, again, is it really a Spielberg film if John Williams isn't involved? That was probably what was missing. (laughs) Well, but you had Alan Silvestri do the music, so it's not like you had a you had a terrible composer. Yeah, it's not like you're having some intern doing it. Mm Mm-hmm. And Silvestri was able to put in cues from like Back to the Future in there too, so that was that was fun to hear. Yeah, I think well, John Williams. His movies, it seems like so much of them, the score is so heavily engrossed into the theme of the movie, driving the movies. You don't really see him wrapped up in 80s 
uh, music. So I feel like with this film, because so much of 80s pop culture was intermittent throughout, there just wouldn't have been enough space for his like such uniqueness that he brings to it. This is also that weird period of time where John Williams and Spielberg were not working as much together because John Williams is now in his 90s and he only has the energy and time to work on maybe one film a year if we're lucky. So, I mean, we need to appreciate and treasure John Williams for how much longer we have him available to write the soundtracks. I did not know that he was that old. God, yeah, it'll be a loss. I'm totally going to check out his scores now. But he is doing the next Indiana Jones movie, which is all fine with me. Ooh, pumped. <laughs> um, so there's also talks that um, Ready Player One could get a sequel, Ready Player Two. Because Ernest Cline did write a sequel book titled of the same title that came out in 2020. It was not as well received as the original book was, um, but apparently... Klein, Ernest Klein has announced that his film sequel is in early stages of development. Where that goes or what happens with it remains unclear, but I don't know if this necessitates a sequel. Yeah. I don't think so. No. It ends up like just with a nice pretty bow on it. I don't like maybe a hundred years into the future, but maybe not this. No. <laughs> I don't understand. Yeah, no. I don't know where where you can go from this. I think the the book sequel, there's some secondary Easter egg hunt that Wade is going on. So he has to spend even more time in the Oasis away from Samantha and his responsibilities as head of Gregarious Games. Well, as long as T.J. Miller ain't in it. <laughs> <laughs> One can hope. Are we right? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, well, I think this is that time where we get to rate our movie. Oh, yeah, with force-fed sci-fi scale of would not watch, would watch, would own, or would host a viewing party, Brian McLeod. What would you rate? Ready Player One. So I've been kind of going back and forth about it, but my rating is going to be would watch. I, I was going to put it in the category of would own, but there's just something about that final act that didn't s- sit well with me, even though it was spectacular at at some points. Um, but overall, I think it is a very intriguing story, and I think it's going to age well. The movie's going to age well over time, especially with the amount of relevance it is in, especially in our current culture. And it is just a classic Spielberg adventure film. And yeah, I know, it is, it's sci-fi. It's a sci-fi podcast, but no, it's it's an adventure film. There's a lot of uh, Spielberg tropes within there that you could just pick out if you've seen an Indiana Jones film. You'll easily identify that by watching this film. There's some good performances all around, except for T.J. Miller. Uh, but, uh, but that, but I think that final act and just nitpicking some either things right there really uh, uh, prevented me from putting it in the category of would own. But I would definitely watch this film if it's on TV or if uh, you know, if ever, if I want to like you know, put on just something to relax to. But more importantly, I think it's having a pretty good, as as it ages, it's getting more of an audience because the, the amount of YouTube videos that are out there about this film is increasing. Not just about the, the nostalgia and the Easter eggs and all, et cetera, et cetera, in there. So I think it's, I right now I'm at Woodwatch, but maybe they'll change over time. 
So Brian McLeod definitely open to revising this rating in the future. Yeah. All right. Yeah, just contact me next week. I'll let you know. Uh, what about you, Sean? What do you give to Ready Player One? Ready Player One. Um, very much like we've talked about, all of us, a lot of nostalgia is engrossed in this film. Um, I would probably put it as a would watch, just on the grounds of, since nostalgia is so engrossed into the environment and the story, I don't know how good the movie would be without the nostalgia. Um, but characters are pretty decent uh you know the MacGuffin getting the keys that was fun going on the adventure I just feel like a lot of parts of this movie was very rushed um and unearned many elements and the villain to me though great actor portrayed him very well was just kind of boring in a sense so a lot of ups and downs but overall I think great movie great culture in it and I think over time it's going to as we've seen it now it's going to progress People will hail this as one of the great sci-fis that was um, missed during the big Marvel times. So, for me, it's a it's a good would watch. It's solid flick. I enjoyed it, um, but it's not crazy high on my list. So that's me, Chris Rupp. Bring us home, baby. Well, I can. I'm going to come in slightly higher than the two of you. I'm going to call this a would own for me. Um, I was a huge fan of the book when it came out. I probably read it in a day because that's how much I loved it and was engrossed in it. Um, the movie, while I would have hoped retained more elements from the book, I get it. There's some elements in the novel that don't translate well to film, and that's fine. I think this is overall, this is a very faithful adaptation of a beloved source material, which you can't ask for anything more when you're doing a book to film adaptation. And I always appreciate it when directors especially when they get older go out on a limb a bit and try something new and i really feel like spielberg did try something new i think brian i echo everything you said about the final act but what's important is like you said spielberg stuck the landing and it ends very much in a way that we expect from a spielberg movie this has everything we could ever want from you know a blockbuster that has his name on it and but it doesn't have the same entertainment quality as, say, a film like E.T. has or Jurassic Park has. Even Minority Report, to some extent. But there are very important takeaways from this movie about the role we allow technology to play in our lives and the role we allow it to play in our future if it remains unchecked. There are certainly great things about technology, and we spend a significant portion of this episode talking about them but we also need to be aware of the pitfalls of them and i think this film is a great commentary on yes technology video games it's a great escape but there's nothing better than real life so high marks i think all around for ready player one this is a fun month spiel talking spielberg movies hell yeah <laughs> i'm gonna take it easy there steve <laughs> how about a bear Yes, <laughs> absolutely. I have enjoyed Spielberg month, Chris. This has just been, boom, another month down of categories. Well, Sean, I know we've been playing around with the idea of theme months, so you have the opportunity to pick our next theme month. So what are, what are we watching next time? So for next month, 
our theme month is going to be foreign sci-fi films because we loved uh, Lemmy. <laughs> we liked Alphaville. I liked Alphaville. You loved Alphaville. Alphaville was great. So we're going to – our first film of uh, foreign sci-fi films is going to be called The City of Lost Children, a French film <laughs> directed by Marc Kyle and Jean-Pierre Jonet. Hopefully I didn't butcher that. Ooh. You, you probably did. Let's be honest. <laughs> sure. In 1995, and it stars Ron Perlman. Ooh. Always like Ron Perlman. Absolutely. Classic guy. Classy guy for a classy French film. So that will be our next film on this podcast. Brian, it has been a freaking pleasure. Yeah, thank you again, gentlemen, for having me on, and I'll see you again in the next three years. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully we'll have you back before uh, our, the three-year uh, due date. I hope so, too, because this has been fun, as always. Ryan, do you have anything uh, you want to plug? Any socials? Uh, yeah, don't invest in uh, crypto and, uh, yeah, insert TJ Miller joke here. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, no plugs for me. <laughs> Chris, always a pleasure, my good sir. Likewise. And thanks again, to Brian, for coming on the podcast and talking Ready Player One with us. Uh, we're looking forward to when we can have him back and uh, looking forward to our next episode kicking off foreign sci-fi film month with the city of lost children. And if you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please head on over to Apple podcasts and leave us a five-star review. It really helps to drive us up the charts as well as help people like you find the show. We are across the spectrum of social media with Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at force sci-fi. You can check out and download episodes from Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you find podcasts, and go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Finally, you can check out our website, forcefedsci-fi.com, for show notes and links to all of our social media. And so for all of us at the Forcefed Sci-Fi team, we will see you next time. <laughs>